I know for some of you this week, um, what you need more than anything is to hope that there is someone who can help you. And there is. And for some of you, what you need more than anything is courage to know that you, you can trust and follow Christ's commands. So you need courage for that. So that's, that's what I think you'll find in Matthew chapter 5. Now to get there, I had an absolutely terrible idea. And um, I thought about it. And I met with David, and we went over the message, and he was like, that's a, ter- that's, that's a terrible idea. And I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's a bad idea. So um, what I was going to do is start by walking out and just being like, hey, good morning. My name is Bronson. For those of you who don't know me, it's really important to know that I am better than you. And just let that, like, hang, you know, and... And that's a terrible idea. Like, that's a really, really bad way to introduce yourself. It's a really bad way to, uh, you know, start a sermon. So I'm not going to do that. But the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to trick you, which is also not very nice, into a feeling that you would probably have if someone did that, right? Like, that, that idea brings up immediately some pretty strong reactions. Some of you nervously chuckled because you're like, ha, 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 ha. It makes you want to defend yourself if someone's trying to shame you or attack somebody if someone's trying to attack you. Like, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. But the real reason I didn't want to do that is because I didn't want you to just dismiss me, which is what I would do. I'd be like, whatever, you know. Like, there's a lot of people on Instagram that have a lot of feelings about my life. I'm like, I don't care. You know, like, I'm not crunchy enough. Who cares? I didn't want that for you, for me. But more importantly, I didn't want that for you, for Christ, because this morning, in no ambiguous terms, he will stand up and point at you and say, good morning. I am better than you. And I don't want you to attack him or defend yourself or dismiss him. I want you to surrender to his opinion of himself. Because if you do, you will find that he is better than you in every meaningful way, and that is good for you in every possible situation. So, in no ambiguous terms, Jesus is about to tell us how much better he is than us. Let's look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, because I want you to see what he says. It's going to show up on the screen. If not, it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, and it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law, until all has been accomplished. Therefore, whoever sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches others to do likewise will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Whenever we read more than like one verse, our brains immediately like and like like zone out. So we're gonna slow down. We're gonna go back over this. I want to show you what he's claiming because it is outrageous. At the very beginning, he says it from his own mouth. I have not come to abolish God's law. I have come to fulfill it perfectly, all of it, even the little tiny obnoxious stuff. Done. And if that is true, it makes him categorically better than you and me. Relax. But it makes him better than us. And that's a really big claim. I don't know if we can really appreciate how insane that claim is 
And so what I want to do is just kind of just kind of just look at this a little bit. All right. Let's let's start with what's the law? Because, you know, there's a lot of laws that you probably have obeyed. Anybody like a really good driver? Like, I'm a great driver. Progressive even says so. You know, like, I've got my thing. Yeah, okay, good for you. No one in here is a good driver. Nobody raised their hand. You're like, I don't trust this guy yet. That's fine. (laughs) There's a lot of things, a lot of laws that maybe matter, maybe don't. What he is pointing at is not some ambiguous cultural law or some sort of, like, societal law. He's pointing at God's law. And he says, according to this, I have fulfilled it. So what is God's law? Well, God desires things that are good, that are right, that are fitting, that are beautiful, things that are wonderful. And and these things, he does not leave up to us to guess, but rather he makes it clear to us what he wants for this world. He tells us what he thinks is good, what he thinks is right, what he thinks is true, what he thinks is actual moral perfection, and this is his law. Now, in context, what Jesus is pointing at is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament specifically tells us who God is, what God wants, and how incredible his love is for us. So what does it mean to abolish that law? Well, abolishing a law is basically, I mean, it's probably a better technical explanation for this, but like taking a marker and being like, doesn't matter. If you guys have ever been a part of any bureaucracy or any, like, organization or any company, there's all kinds of laws and things that they're like, hey, yeah, that thing we told you about last week, yeah, forget about that. that we're doing this now. It's been abolished. It doesn't matter anymore. So what does it mean to abolish God's law? Well, it means to say that that doesn't matter anymore. This isn't important. It has no weight. It has no authority. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not here to do that. Not at all. So what are some ways that you and I abolish God's law? Well, usually it's not so, like, forward. Like, we're not like, you know what, God's law, I don't care. I'm going to lie as much as I want. You know, like, take that, God. We, we normally don't respond that boldly, but what we normally do is we'll take the marker and we'll circle a part of the law and we'll kind of pull it out and be like, look, look what I did. I did the law. You know, like, we'll, we'll write at the end, like, you shall not lie. And it's like, comma, often. You know, like, oh, man, you're welcome, God. It's like we, uh, we the, the law is, it's actually in historical, like, Christian literature, it's, it's commonly referred to as, like, this mountain that is immovable, and uh, uh, you can't climb it. It's just, like, there, and it orients our whole lives, and instead of us trying to figure out how to go up it, we take a piece of it, and we go with it, and we're like, look, I did the thing, you know? I, I did the law. And what Jesus is saying is that he has done the entirety of it. So I'm going to give you one example, and then we're going to move on from this, because I think it's maybe helpful. Murder, right? That's a law that all of us would agree on. I've yet to see a politician run on the platform like, hey, idea, murder whoever you want whenever you want. Huh? Vote for me, and I'll make it happen. Because we're like, no, that's outrageous. Like, we all agree with this law. Do not murder. Good idea, you know? And so we look at that, and we go, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not a murderer. I've seen criminal minds. I know what a murderer looks like. This guy stalking the family in the woods. Not me. And what Jesus does is says, in the Sermon on the Mount, immediately following this, he holds up murder and says, you have heard that you shall not murder, but I say to you that if you hate someone in your heart, you have breached this command. So bottom line, here's how you abolish the law. You look at the law, you take a small part of it, and you say, I've done it. And you leave the rest behind. And what he says is, no, 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 you haven't. Put that back. Go deeper. 
it's not about doing more and more and more. It's about the deeper and deeper and deeper obedience to God's law. And Jesus goes out of his way to state that the law is not being abolished by him at all, that it is right, that it is fitting, that it is good, that it makes sense. In fact, he goes on to strengthen the law and go deeper and deeper in the Sermon on the Mount. And therefore, what he means when he says he has come to fulfill that law is deeper than what you think you would do. It doesn't, for him, for Jesus, his claim is not just that he has done with his hands what is right, but he has loved with his heart what he ought to. Are you starting to see how crazy this claim is? Not yet. Okay, we'll get there. To fulfill the law would mean that God would look down on a person and say, this is my son or my daughter. In them I am well pleased. I'm happy with them. Not just what they've done, but who they are to the bottom of their character, which is exactly what God the Father says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. There's a verse in Hebrews. Later on, it it uses this poetic language to describe uh, God the Father. It says, he is the father of lights in whom is no shadow of turning, which is a King Jamesy way of saying, you can trust this guy. He is all light. He, he, he's the father of lights. There's, there's nothing in him you're going to find that's not worth trusting. He's altogether good. And what Jesus is saying is that when you open up the Old Testament and shine the character and light of God the Father on Jesus, there is no shadow within him that that light draw, uh, drives out. That what it meets is light, like he is light. What the good law of God meets is a good man which matches it. That is outrageous if it's not true. And it's fantastic if it is true. It's saying that he has obeyed in a way that is deeper. Not just fulfilling the prophetic historical things, the claims of God that will happen in the future. He does. Not just fulfilling the ceremonies and the sacrifices like the temple or the Passover lamb. He does. What he is claiming is to have obeyed the one law that is um, greater than all of them. He has claimed to love the Lord with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, and with all his strength. And he's saying that he is better than you, and God Almighty says so. Okay, so what do we do with that, right? If this is what he means, and I hope you can see this now, You can't just ignore that kind of a claim. Because what, go with me here, what if that's not true about him? Have you ever thought about that? When I was reading some commentaries on this, they didn't even ask that question. They were like, well, of course that's true. It's Jesus. (laughs) They just moved on. So I want to just slow down and, and let's think about this. What if this is not true? Have you ever met somebody who thought they were perfect? I have. It's weird. It's this guy who was in Chicago, and um, somehow I got in a 45-minute conversation with him, which is my fault, not his. And uh, he sat under this tree. He panhandled, and it, this tree was connected to nine spiritual gateways that led to the magnetic center of the universe, not the earth, the universe. And by sitting under this tree, it was revealed to him that he was sinless without any defect, that he was a perfect man. I know this because I got in a 45-minute conversation with this man. Now, I had my doubts, okay? First, the tree, not very impressive, Okay. Not for a spiritual gateway connected to the universe. It was like two years old and like, like maybe that far around. I'm like, me thinkies, there's something going on here. But the real thing that got me was the way he treated people around him. 
he was awful. He, for a sinless person, he was so harsh and aggressive and cruel to the people that were around him, which was surprising. But then it dawned on me, okay, this was more than that kid that plays soccer and is like, I'm going to go pro. It's like, oh, that's a gentle delusion. You know, life will change that. This was like a clinical concerning, this man was, was ill. And so it started to alarm me. And so I did what any rational person, well, maybe I stayed for 45 minutes. But after that, I did what any rational person would do, and I just simply dismissed him, and I moved on. In fact, it took me until like now, almost like a decade later, before I remembered, oh, that guy, that crazy guy. Ah, oh, yeah, I was trying to think of crazy people, and I thought of him. How, how quaint. But what I did not do is bow my knees, throw my arms up in the air, and say, be my Lord. Be my everything. Be my hope. I believe you. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, you need to understand that Jesus is claiming something as outrageous as that man did, if, albeit, more articulate. And if he is not who he says he is, he is profoundly delusional. So delusional, it is alarming, and he should be dismissed and ignored. Only, I don't think that's really fair because the consequences of believing that claim are meaningful and impactful. And many of you know this, that the closest followers of Jesus, every single one of them gave their lives, died horrible deaths, confessing that they believed a couple of these claims, one of them being that he was the fulfillment of the law, that he was sinless. So the consequences of this, if he is delusional, are simply too much to ignore. And worse, if he's not delusional, but was in his right mind and knew that he was not who he said he was. This is sinister. This is radically wicked of Jesus. And he should be opposed by you with all of your life. If this is not true, you should oppose, not might, should oppose the message of Christianity. But if it's true, then you should give your everything to this. But what you should not do is hear a claim like this and go, I'm going to go watch football. Not that there's something wrong with football. Don't dismiss this man. He corners us here and says, what do you think? Now, I believe that it is true. I mean, a brief examination of the life of Christ, you look at his teachings, you look at his actions, it shows none of the signs of lunacy. It shows none of the signs of, a, of an evil or a narcissist that's establishing a cult for power and pleasure. It's a 10-minute reading of any of the Gospels will show you that that's pretty doubtful. Also, every single miraculous event of Jesus' life would have to be an illusion or falsified or completely, like, he couldn't have done a single thing that it says that he did. And then lastly, of course, there is his resurrection to contend with. The historical evidence of him rising from the dead is profound. And this morning, I, I really can't go into that much further than to say all of it has to be a lie. Because if one of these things is true, he's not delusional and he's not a narcissist. He is who he says he is. Now listen, at this point, David did want me to specifically mention, if you have more questions about that, 
like the historical evidence of the resurrection and all that, that is literally what the Skeptics Bible Study is about. It's a group of people that gather together to wrestle with faith and with doubt and with the claims of Christ. And I wanted to make sure that you understood there is a place for you to get more information. But this morning, I simply want to point out um, that you cannot throw this away lightly. Because if it is true, what does it mean? What does it mean that if Jesus actually obeyed the law perfectly, what would that look like? Well, it would mean that he loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. It would mean that he loved people the way that he would want to be loved perfectly. What that means is that with every fiber of his being, he is everything you've ever wanted from a friend. I mean, he is a better person than you have ever imagined. He's more patient with you than you could dream. Have you ever snapped at your kids? Don't answer that. When you do, you turn and face him, he will never snap at you. And like as a father, like in the heat of it, that is really good news for me. What it means is that he's a better friend because he is better than you, and for once in your life, that is really good for you. I mean, realistically, we all want a friend who's better than us. Realistically. Like, we really want to be the best, but at the same time, we also want a friend who's better than us because, well, <laughs> we're not. And behold. But that's not all it means, and I think this is where the language of the Bible is more helpful. So, at this point, it's kind of like what I'm doing is pointing at our shadows and saying, you see your shadow? He's a taller shadow. And what I'm doing is it's like we're, like we're all set up, we're facing west, and there's this huge mountain behind us, and the sun is coming up behind it, and there's big shadow, and I'm like, look, look how much bigger and better and taller of a shadow Jesus is. But that's not true. I mean, it is. He is a better person than you, but that's like not nearly enough to describe what this would mean if he has fulfilled God's law. What it means is that he is the mountain itself. He's, he's the real good that you've been longing for your whole life and that the sun shining behind him is the law illuminating what is good and true about him. That, that as it rises up, we see the outline of his majesty, of his strength, of his patience, of his kindness towards us. That, that what this means is that if he has fulfilled the law, the law teaches us how good he is. And as we, what I should be doing and what I want to do now is turn you to face that mountain and consider how beautiful it would be that someone could obey every dot, every small commandment, every minuscule fact, everything is wrapped up in him. If it's true, then what it means is you should stare and stare and stare at Jesus and see these rivers of his grace and goodness coming rushing down towards you. And the heights of the cliffs of his patience, the, the, the absolute immovability of his faithfulness towards you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. The law has said so, and he has done so. This is where my words right now are like, like I've got like an arrow, and I'm like, and it's like I'm shooting the arrow up the mountain and I hit somewhere in the foothills. We're not even close to his goodness. 
And so turning to Revelation 5 is probably the only thing I can do to help us get a little bit higher. In Revelation 5, there's this courtroom. At the end of all things, there's a, a, a moment where this angel steps forward and begins to proclaim. It says with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And the one who saw this says that I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, without getting into what's going on here, here's enough to know. There is a longing in your heart for someone who is enough. Something that's enough. Some relationship that's worth your everything. Some job that's worth your everything. Some, something that's bigger and better and more real than you. And what this is saying is that we're looking for the one who could lift up the law and say, I have done this. All of heaven is looking for this person. They looked in all of eternity. They looked in all that have gone before. They looked in all over the earth, and they found nobody. And the reason that you are lacking, the reason you are wanting, the reason that you are weeping, if you will, is because you are looking for Christ and not finding him. Or you are looking at Christ and turning from him. And what the answer is, is to just hope in him. Look what the elder says, this angelic being walks up to the guy crying and says this, do not weep, see, look at him, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed, he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals, look, there's the one you want, and that's my job today, like I get to tell you like look at this guy. He lifts up the law and says, I did this. And if that's true, everything you've ever wanted is in him. Everything. I don't know what you need for your marriage. I don't know what you need for your kids. I don't know what you need for your job. You need, whatever you need, he's got. I don't care how bad you are. His love and his kindness is greater than that. Like this is, this is something real that wakes us up from a dream. And so what should we do if this is true? You ready? Stop. Just stop. Stop trying to be good enough. You're not. Like, just knock it off. You're not that impressive compared to Jesus. Stop. Stop defending yourself. If I get up here and I say, hey, I'm better than you, you're going to, oh, yeah, well, yeah, come at me. Jesus doesn't need you to do that. He's not impressed by you. You need to be impressed by him. And that's good. Just stop. Stop going to him and look, look how many things I've fulfilled in the law. Look what I've done. Look at what Jesus says to that kind of approach to his law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. All right, we're going to go back to where we were talking before. Unless your righteousness, what you're bringing to him, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Because that's who he points at. Well, these are people that their whole lives have taken little pieces of the law and built these rebel hills with these mountains of their little stones of obedience. And it is laughable compared to the righteousness of Christ. But my friends, you're not even close. You got about nine of them under your feet. You're not even close to these people. They would crush you 
with their obedience to the law in the way that you want to obey. And what he's saying is, no, you don't need more and more obedience. You need an altogether different kind of obedience. Because the reality is that the goal of the gospel is not to make your hill of obedience big enough to enter the kingdom of God. The goal of the gospel is to make you from shadow into light. The the law is made entirely of light, and you are shadow. And what what this is saying is that there's a day that Jesus stood up and stretched out his arms and sheltered you under the shadow of his outstretched body as it's revealing the goodness of who he is with the law shining behind him. But one day, the law will break over his shoulders and fall on you, and you will not be judged by the law. You will be driven out by it. You will be burned away by it. The the law of God is not coming to to argue with you about whether you're enough or not. It is coming to reveal that darkness no longer belongs in his kingdom. And if you are of shadow, you will go. And so the love of God steps forward. And he comes running down the mountain of God towards you. Wrapping himself in flesh, shadowing himself so that he would not consume you. The law with feet comes running up to you, not to drive you out, but to change you from shadow to light. And this isn't a philosophy or an ideal. This is a real moment in history where God himself becomes a man and then sits down on a mountain and says, I have come to obey God's law completely for you. And every moment of his life lived in perfect obedience was to obtain this beautiful robe of righteousness that he then ascends the mountain of God with and stands before the smiling face of his father who says, this is my boy and I'm pleased with him. It's enough. Behold the one who is good. And then he turns back around and comes down to you in the darkness and takes off this robe and wraps it around your shoulders and pulls from you these rags of your record, this failure to obey God's law or a failure in your trying to obey God's law, and he starts wrapping it around his arms and his chest and his legs, and he carries your sin back up the mountain and stands before the full sunlight of God's law. What the crucifixion was, was him bearing your sin, your law-breaking, as one who never broke the law. If this is true, then he should not stand. He should not be raised up on the cross. You should. But because he loves you, he goes there. And the, the brilliant light of God's law burns him away. All of your sin burned up with him, buried in the grave. He's driven out of the kingdom of God, driven out of the land of the living, so that you could go to God the Father, wrapped in his goodness, wrapped in his kindness, and receive this sentence. This is my daughter. This is my son, and I'm pleased with them. And if you think for a second, like, well, he only loves me because of what Jesus has done, no, that's not true. He loved you, and he knew all about your sinless, sinful record. That's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you and wanted to have a way to keep you. 
And you were too much in darkness and too much in sin and could never ascend this mountain. And so he sent Jesus to provide a way for you to be sheltered and rescued because he loves you. And now there's nothing more for you to pay. There's nothing more for you to do. It's all been done for you. Where we stand in a moment in history is Jesus rising up from the grave like the dawn breaking and standing up and stretching out his arms and you now either live as children of light under his shadow in this broken dark world or as shadow under his grace being called to become children of light. You're one or the other, but that's life as we know it. If this claim is true. So, what do we do? I think the temptation then, where are we at? Oh, we're good. Sorry, I just totally changed that moment. Stay with me. What do you do? We see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his beauty. What's the response? Well, we have this weird impulse where we're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Jesus has done a lot for me. I'll do a lot for Jesus. And like we go running up that mountain. You're like clawing at it. Like I'm going to give my life to God. And that's not what he wants. Because one, you will fail. Two, you'll probably fall to your death. Three, even if you somehow made it to the top of that mountain, you are not made of the stuff which will survive there. You will die if you made it. You know what lives on top of mountains? Nothing. Except birds. Creatures altogether unlike us. And that's my point. You must be completely changed. The goal of the gospel is not for you to get up, do better, and try harder. That is never the command of God. Do better, try harder is never his command. His command is believe what I have done and believe what I say. And what he has said is that you are not enough, but Christ was. And that is good. And so if we go to him confessing these things, what we also do is go to him asking him for help to obey his commands. And what he does is he sends in his Holy Spirit to transform us in a very real way. The Bible uses this figurative language of like, you're children of light, or you've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And that's a figurative language describing a very real thing. It really does happen that you must be transformed. Otherwise, how could you live in his kingdom of light? And sure, it's poetic, but it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean that it, it's not necessary for it to happen to you. And now, transformed by his grace and empowered by his love, we are given grace to fly the mountain of God, to soar in obedience, to to not just be people who are like God, but be people who love God with our heart and mind and soul and strength and love the people around us, not just try and love the people around us, even though that's also what we must do. We're changed and continually being changed. So, this morning, how do we do this? There's a couple things I want to leave you with, and then we're going to pray. Um... First, I think it's very important that you wrestle with this, this actual claim of Jesus. Um, I think all too many times we just simply hear that Jesus was sinless, that he did, you know, that he, he never sinned. And we're just like, well, yeah, it's Jesus. I mean, sure, I've heard that since I was two. But have you ever thought about what that means? 
Have you ever wrestled with it? So I'm going I'm to put it out in front of you right now, okay? You, I want you to try and answer this question in your head. Don't, don't shout it at him. If you want to, you can, but don't. Uh, is he a lunatic? If you're like, I'm not ready to say yes to that. I think no. Great. Okay. Then is he an evil con? Is he, is he one of the most wicked men that's ever lived? And if the answer is, well, no, I mean, I, I don't think so, then what do you make of him? What do, you, what do you do with this claim? Don't dismiss it. Answer it. And if you come to a conclusion that, yes, this is the one who said that he was perfect and then did perfectly, give him what he's due, which is everything. Trust him. Hope in him. Run to him. I mean, he's better than you, and he's better than your problems, so go, go, like, go. Go to him quickly with everything you have, and you'll find someone who is enough for everything you could give him. Um, now, if this morning you believe that you're not able to stand before God, that you're like, listen, you don't have to convince me that I'm not better than Jesus. Like, I, I've been doing enough convincing of myself the last week or two. If that's where you're at, then I want to invite you to understand a little bit more clearly that this is very simple. The confession that we should make is that we're not enough. And if you're like, check, great, good, you're on the right track. The next confession is just going that he was. No matter how bad you are, you're not bad enough to outdo his goodness. In fact, that's literally the whole point. Do you believe that? It's not enough to just believe you're not enough. What Jesus is inviting you to believe is that he is. That's so good for you. And I want to invite you to do that this morning. And then lastly, if you're kind of one of those people who are like, man, I've been here, I've done that, I've answered this question years ago. I'm in. I'm in the kingdom. I know who I'm, Christ, I'm in Christ. I know I'm a Christian. Great. One like little boink application, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to go. Uh, you notice what he said here, right? Therefore, and this is now talking to people in the kingdom, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You don't want that. What he says is, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here's my application for you this morning. Yes, you should go read your Bible, okay? It's good. It's good for you to see Christ as he's revealed in the word. And yes, you should go to discipleship groups because it's impossible for you to do this command without other people around you. You can't teach other people if you're alone or encourage others. But I'm just going to go a little bit more simple. What's that very small little law that Jesus keeps speaking to your soul that you're like, hmm? Like, who's the person that you need to forgive that you're like, well, I will? Or what's the thing that you're supposed to do next? That small little thing. You notice that he's not even asking you to, like, change your mind and say, like, oh, no, you know what? You're right. It's a big deal. He's like, no, it might be actually a really tiny, you know, small little thing. Obey. Go, go. Go do it. And that's my encouragement to you. So this week, if you hear his voice on even a small thing, don't harden your heart. Go do it. That's going to be what I'm focusing on this week from this text is how can I just obey his voice even on the small matters? Really small stuff. Literally what he's commanding obedience in. And that's what I want to just leave you with, okay? Um, ultimately, what we should do is thank him. If he is worthy of our hope, 
If he's worthy of our lives, then he is also worthy of our affection and our thanks. And so we're gonna worship him as we go this morning. But I want to put in front of you the song of heaven in response to what Jesus has done and who he is. This is back in Revelation 5. This is so cool. This is what all of heaven sings about Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people from every nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. This is what he wants for you because he is good. And so Father, we come to you and we confess that we are not enough, but we confess that you are more than enough, that you are good beyond our wildest dreams. We thank you for your law keeping. And we ask that you would give us grace and power to obey you. You put in front of us one simple thing. If we love you, we'll obey your commands. And not to earn your love or to prove that we love you or to prove that we're enough, but just simply because we love you, God, will you help us to love you better? Will you help us to love you deeper? Will you help us to obey you more? Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the all that you are. Jesus, you are worthy because you were slain. You were worthy of all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.